the property was owned by a brother and a sister. It was actually owned by a father who passed away and the brother and sister were fighting over who gets the property. So there was a lot of court issues. Um, and even though we had it under contract, there was something where, where we were waiting on the court's ultimate decision to, to decide if the woman could give it to us. Um, so that lasted about three to four months. Where, and it kind of put us on, on pause because we're like, well, do we keep calling brokers or do we wait, you know? Because we only had so much capital, we could only do one deal. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? And Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Take the red pill. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Catchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the good fortune of having my friend Michael Teague with me today. Michael, how are you? Doing well, it's Mike tie, like like a bow tie. Man, I messed up. Sorry, Michael. It's all right, man. I should have told you. I told you ahead of time. You said you said the same thing everyone else says, so you're no different because the spelling's just a little well. But thanks, our spelling's a little weird. But thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, it's awesome. So Michael's out in Cali, and he's an air traffic controller, and a multifamily investor and a podcast host, and all of the things. But I don't want to steal all your thunder. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, man? Um, how far back did you want me to go on that? You want to stick more multifamily? What? What's that? You were born and then what? Oh, so um, after high school, I got in the Navy. I wanted to do air traffic control, and I was in a career shadowing program in high school. And I won't go too deep into it to avoid being monotonous, but... Um, I just realized that the military was the easiest way to get a job doing air traffic control. And that was my one vision. That was my ultimate goal. Um, you know, and that was kind of my identity, you know, you, you work so hard for something it almost becomes your identity. Um, so I was just wanted to get to the busiest facility in the country. I'm now out of the Navy, been out for 10 years. And I work at Southern California TRACON, which services all of Southern California. And that's like the upper echelon of the field. Um, but I knew you know, over the past couple of years, I realized that there was more to life than just working all the time. Um, and I didn't like, you know, my employer dictating my schedule constantly. I almost like the flexibility of being an entrepreneur or just um, having a business life such as yourself. Um, and I knew retirement, I didn't want to be completely dependent on IRA and, you know, Wall Street and, and those kind of methods. So I started branching out and that's what brought me to real estate. Um, and then as, you know, I, when I first got into real estate, I never envisioned that I would, you know, have the opportunity to become potentially financially free. Um, it was just kind of a goal to supplement my retirement when the time did come, because we're fortunate in our field as air traffic controllers, we are forced out actually by 56. So we're no longer allowed to work. Um, but by 50, we, we can retire with a pension. So the jobs kind of got you by the balls and, you know, to quit a job like that with a pension, we can retire at 50. People probably think you're crazy, right? There's not many jobs that offer that kind of benefit. And not going to lie, that's an extremely 
great benefit and it's very enticing and I'm you know, blessed to have that opportunity. Um, but my partners and I decided that wasn't what we wanted ultimately. So we are pursuing financial freedom uh, such as yourself. And we found we can most likely achieve that through apartment investing. So that's what brought me to this. So how did you get into, like, how'd you get exposure to apartment investing? And then how did you start, make your entry into the space? Um, I started off house hacking, like a lot of people. Did you start off house hacking? I did not. Okay, gotcha. You, you jumped right into apartments? I, I flipped a couple of houses, a few houses, okay. then went to apartments. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I started off with, with the house hack. So when I got out of the Navy, I worked as a contractor in Afghanistan as a civilian contractor. And it pays a lot. You can save up a lot of money because you don't pay any taxes. Um, so that's what enabled me to just save up money and had all this capital. And um, I put it in mutual funds initially, but it was just kind of sitting there, you know, the, the return wasn't too great. Um, and I knew I didn't have any knowledge or foundation. I was living in Los Angeles at the time, working as an air traffic controller up there. And I knew I wanted to buy a house that produced cash flow. I didn't even have that term. I just knew in my head, like, this is what I want. I had the concept, but I didn't have the terminology. Um, but basically I did a house hack. I wanted a house that would cash flow if I wasn't there. And I wanted a house that potentially could appreciate it. it led me to buying in like a C neighborhood um, in East Lawrence, West Carson area. Um, and, and it was a great house hack. I lived in one room and Airbnb, the other two rooms, which was a lot of work, changing sheets and all the time and everything. But, you know, I had that reserve saved up from Afghanistan. And then that allowed me to save additional money up. And then I additionally transferred down to San Diego, you know, because I was chasing this, the world's busiest air traffic control facility. Um, so I transferred down here, rented that place out. It cash flowed really great. And I bought in 2015. So it appreciated outstandingly. So the return on that property was actually like my best investment, but no one can predict appreciation, right? That's, that's kind of, I got lucky on that part. So I had the cash flow in case it didn't appreciate, but it appreciated. So that's, that's where the luck comes in. And, you know, I was blessed that that occurred and I sold it. Um, and, you know, I bought some smaller multifamilies in Cleveland with a little bit of cash, but um, what led me, I think your ultimate question is what led me to apartments. Um, my coworker and partner, Rich, I kind of mentioned to him that I was investing in the dynamics of it and the returns that I'm getting. And I said, um, and most people, and I'm sure you encountered this too, Jerome, people want to know, hey, what is it that you do and how does this work? And it, it, it's, a, it's kind of a loaded question um, because it's a really long conversation and, and someone can't, I don't think people realize that. They bring it up in passing, you know, in the hallways at break at work. So I always have the same response. I direct people to a couple of books because they, they want help and they don't know anything about it. So I'm like, well, read these two books and get back to me. And usually people are like, okay. And they'll, they'll be like, hey, Mike, I bought the book, but I never hear from them. But uh, Rich read, read the books and then he kept reading more and more. And he started reading apartment books. And he's like, Mike, I think you're, uh, I think you're doing it wrong by just buying these four units and less, you know? And he started bringing up how apartments, you know, commercial valuations are, um, how they how they come to the valuation number and the value of NOI and cap rates and everything and how we can create equity. And he's like, dude, you, he's like, if, if we're going to partner, we really need to do commercial apartments. He's like, we all need to partner. Um, you, this guy, Sean, I worked with, Sean DiMartel, who's now a partner, because we were all just initially looking at Burring. And uh, I'm from Cleveland, that's where I'm initially from before I was sent up to San Diego. So we were all looking at doing the buy what is it, buy, rehab, refinance, rent, repeat model. I might, I might have mixed up one of those R's, R's there. 
Um, but it was really hard. It's a grind, man. You get, you get one property. It takes just as much time as acquiring an apartment takes, maybe a little, a little shorter. But I felt like the amount of work I put in that, and then you have one property. And like, my initial goal is I can do two a year. I can get two birds a year. Um, but he's like, man, he's, he's like, he's like that's that small boy stuff from what I'm reading. He's like, he's like, we need a partner, Mike, and we need to go big. And he was, and I was like, no, man, I, I just want to max out my 10 Fannie Freddie loans. Like, you know, you can max, max out your conventional or not conventional residential loans. That was my goal. And um, I was kind of aiming small. So it was cool to have someone like Rich with a, with a large vision, even though he had no experience. But, you know, he's, he's a very confident guy. And he's like, we need to go, we need a partner, we need to go big. And he kept sending Sean and I texts saying, we need a partner and go big. And eventually, you know, I, I kept seeing the math and I was like, you're right, man, let, let, let's do this. Let, let's all sit down, have dinner and have a meeting and then get, get with the commercial lenders. So we discussed everything we needed to do. And then we read some books. We started with Dave Lindahl's book. Um, I think it's called Multifamily Millions. Did, did you read that one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I think that one lays a really good foundation just on the basics of apartment investing. So we kind of set, we took really good notes, set our plan and just kind of followed it to a T. And I know it's, it's weird to say, and it's probably hard for someone who's not in the industry to believe, oh, you read one book and you, you have a good foundation. I would say you could read a book like that if you take really good notes and you, you follow it to a T and you can, you can make some moves. I mean, you, it's probably good to get additional knowledge and have a mentor, as you always suggest. And I think you are a mentor as well, right, Jerome? I am, yeah. Um, you know, it's definitely good to have a mentor along the way. But if you read that book, you're going to have the foundational knowledge. Um, and we started making moves. Rich started calling brokers. Um, I started reaching out to property managers and our, and our roles kind of naturally developed that Rich would work, at, would work with the brokers. I would be the asset manager and Sean would work on the, on the rentals and construction. Um, and that's how we started attacking it. We got a lead in Indianapolis. Um, took us a long time to close on it because there's a lot of um, issues with probate court from the seller's side, but we closed on it and um, now we're, um, forming our, we're not forming a mentorship, but we're mentees, as you suggested, and many have suggested. And, you know, we're just looking to expand and grow from there. So talk to me about your, your mentor, your coach. Like, what, what does that program look like? How'd you pick it? How'd you vet it out? Um, so we wanted, you know, we, we did the first deal without a mentor. And it was just a joint venture deal, as, as I think you commonly do. Um, but we wanted to go bigger and we, we were all out of capital. You know, we used, we had, we were, we were blessed and fortunate enough to have money that we saved up from working crazy overtime, working in Afghanistan, et cetera. Um, but we're like, okay, we have no capital now. So the next move typically is to raise money. Um, but we're like, we really want someone to bring clout to our team when we're raising money. Um, and I interviewed five or six, you know, the biggest programs out there. I don't want to say names, but I'm sure if people in the industry can imagine who they are. And a lot of them um, were very cookie cutter and it was just kind of, it wasn't tailored to the individual group. And that's what we were looking for. We were looking for a mentor that we could work with directly who could bring a lot of clout to our team. And we didn't care if we had to pay a little bit extra for, for that. For a lot of these bigger um, mentorship programs, you're kind of working with six different associates. You're not working with one chief syndicator, someone who has all the expertise. Um, so we actually asked one of our guests that was on our podcast um, when the show was over, hey, do you have anyone you can recommend to mentor us? And he said, you know, my brother and I have been looking to do it. And we realized he might be the perfect person because they, him, him and his brother have uh, 990 million in real estate and they have like 6,000 units, but they don't, they don't really care about building a brand. They're not, um, 
you know, the Joe Fairless of the world where they have books, they have um, a brand. They just kind of, they just kind of acquire assets and they don't really care that people know about it. We thought they'd be perfect because they were kind of, they felt smaller and more intimate, even though they were huge. They were bigger than most of these um, names that could pop into your head. Um, and they, and we would work with them directly. We were their first students. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we were looking for. Now, they might not be right for everybody. If you're first starting off, you probably want someone maybe like the, uh, um, just, just the bigger programs. I don't want to name any of them, but any of the bigger programs that are more designed from take you, taking you to cradle, from your cradle to your grade. They're going to start you off with the fundamentals and teach you just the basics. Like, this is the definition of NOI, because that's kind of what their program is designed for. It's designed for someone who knows nothing. Um, so if you've never done a syndication or an apartment transaction, those programs are better, but it just wasn't right for us. Nice. So I, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about your deal. So tell me about the first deal that you guys closed out in Ohio. Um, yeah, so actually it was, in, um, it was in Indianapolis. In Cleveland, it was just me who bought a fourplex. And then, um, but in Indy, you know, we're just, my partner, Rich, was just networking with brokers. And, you know, it's, it's the usual conversation when you're new. And I'm sure you can empathize uh, with the situation. Drum, you're calling and you don't have any deals. And they're like, all right, well, who are you? What's your background? You know, why, why should I send you anything? And, and usually Rich was getting the runaround. They're sending us crap deals that aren't, don't meet our parameters. And, you know, um, and eventually Rich calls this guy, Daryl, um, this broker from Marcus and Millichap in Indy. And he said, I don't have anything for you. And he's like, Rich, tell me about yourself, don't he? He said he's an air traffic controller, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of where Daryl made a connection with him. Because Daryl's like, oh, you know what? My, uh, my, my brother, one of his, someone he knew was a, an air traffic controller. He's like, you know what, Rich? He's like, I think I got something for you. <laughs> he's like, this deal's not on market yet. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's, people like that term off-market deal because it makes it feel like you get more value. And it's often the case, but not always. Um, so yeah, he brought it to us. We ran the numbers and like, wow, this is a huge value idea. We have to, we have to make an offer on this. And we were so conservative that we were just writing, underwriting on actuals. So we made an offer that was just based on the current NOI divided by the cap rate, the way it was operating. And we didn't, um, and they, they declined it. They, they, and we brought it up a little bit, you know, to, to account for the value add potential. And eventually we got a contract, but the issue was the property was owned by a brother and a sister was actually owned by a father who passed away and the brother and sister were fighting over who gets the property. So there was a lot of court issues. Um, and even though we had it under contract, there was something where we were waiting on the court's ultimate decision to, to decide if the woman could give it to us. Um, so that lasted about three to four months. Where, and it kind of put us on pause because we're like, well, do we keep calling brokers or do we wait, you know? Because we only had so much capital, we could only do one deal. Um, so we waited. <laughs> Uh, and eventually she got back to us and said, all right, it's a go. We can close on it. You know, and it took about six months for that to occur. And I know when, when you were on our podcast, we were telling you we were measuring our debt options because it wouldn't qualify for conventional lending initially because it wasn't a stabilized building. Um, so, and we didn't have, we didn't have enough money. We were undercapitalized. We, you know, it was a heavy run out. Um, it needs about, Five to six hundred thousand dollars in renovation, um, but there was enough meat on the bone that it was worth it. Um, it was all 1960s vintage. You know, it, basically we were buying a bag of bricks. We were buying bricks and land because everything needed to go. I know they say don't buy for capex, but the numbers made sense that we could replace all the capex, and we probably won't do this in the future because it's a lot of work. 
Um, but all the CapEx items needed replaced too, except for the roof. Um, plumbing, uh, electrical, um, most of those items needed replacement. The balconies, yeah. <laughs> I, a lot of people listening probably can't see Jerome's face right now, but he's got a, he's got a crazy expression. <laughs> uh, <laughs> with the one eyebrow raised look. <laughs> um, yeah, so most of the CapEx items needed replaced, uh, so we need more capital. And we were looking at accomplishing that via bridge debt, um, which we are so thankful we didn't do. We were initially going to do that. And it just got a little shady when the lender would give us only a max of 18 months with no extension. Like, man, we, we can't work with no extension. You know, the, the notes due at 18 months. And um, actually, it was you, Jerome, who, who kind of put this fear in me. I was already really skeptical. And I think, you know, we were just uh, shooting the shit before our show when you were on. And you're like, man, a lot of these guys, they ultimately want to just acquire the property. That's the lender's goal. And they set you up for failure. They want you to fail. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that's all ended, but, you know, it, it could kind of make sense how that would be more lucrative for them. Um. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. Um, and I was like, this, this feels like we are set up to fail. Because we had 18 months and, and with bridge debt, um, you don't just get the money up front. They give it to you in draws, and then they have to come out and see that you completed the work, then they pay, and then the next work can start. So it slows everything down. You know, then there's, I was like, guys, there's no way we can do this in 18 months. We need to, we need to pivot a little bit. Um, so we went the conventional route. We brought on three um, investors who, it wasn't um, a syndication. They're not limited partners. We brought them on as JVs. They, they don't, they're not too active in the deal, but it was still worth it for us. Hey, you guys can get the JV role. We'll do most of the work and you just bring your money on board. So we did that. We went and we got 80, 20, um, we got a five year loan um, and it's amortized over 25 years and you know, we're full speed ahead and it's, it's going great. It's actually going way better than expected now. Um, so I think everyone, even investors are glad we got it. Um, yeah, the rents were increasing about $200 a unit. Um, so it, it's, it's huge. And uh you know, and, and I know replacing CapEx is the most popular thing because there's no immediate value you get. Like when you paint a unit, you can say, okay, I painted it. I can raise rents X amount. Um, but when you put new balconies on, it's like, well, I guess, I guess the, the main thing is in the future, you can say everything is replaced in this building. It's like a brand new building. It's a brick building, pitched roof. So it's like, we probably won't need to touch anything on this asset uh, for the next 30 years, hopefully, except for the, except for the roof and some small things. But um, yeah, so that, that's where we're at with that. And, and we're full speed ahead and just in the process of doing the reposition. What's been your worst fear in the process? Um, I think most people's fear in, every, in any endeavor is just failure, you know, not getting the job done. And, and that kind of is motivating, right? Especially when you have other people's money on the line. If it was just me, for some reason, I don't know why, I, w I wouldn't be as fearful. But when you have someone else, you don't want to, I think inherently, people don't want to let others down. You know, um, fortunately, everything we promised them was really conservative. So the rents we're going to get are um, far greater than we even told them. Um, so every, everything's exceeding expectations. Um, but yeah, I would say fear of, uh, of failure, you know, and especially your peers, your coworkers, your family knows you're putting a lot of money in these things. And, you know, their mindset is kind of, why isn't that in your IRA and your retirement fund? Why is this going in this crazy apartment building in Indianapolis that you 
so it never really seemed to see one. Um, so, you know, that's just kind of their mentality, but yeah, there's just fear of failing and everyone pointing at you being like, haha, I told you so. Um, that, that, that can be a motivating factor. <laughs> Has there come a point where everything was on the line? And, you everything know, was on the, the line. rock bottom is? You know what? Um, there was no rock bottom. I think everything was on the line. That pivotal moment where I actually felt like some internal friction. Um, and another credit to you, Jerome. Shout out to you on this because we were hesitant to get that bridge loan. I already wasn't feeling good about it. And then when you mentioned that thing about the bank, when we got off that podcast with you, Jerome, back in December, I think it was, we're like, guys, we, we can't do bridge debt. We have, look, I'm backing out. Either, either we're not doing bridge debt, I'm backing out. If, and I, I, I wasn't even signed an LLC, so they couldn't hold me to anything. But I, that was gonna be my move, um, just to, really, to let them know how serious I was. And because you know, you can get, you can get so excited that you finally got your first deal, yeah. you become an emotional thinker, not a cognitive thinker. It's, it's your emotions in you like guys we can make this work you know there's the emotional thoughts like we can make this work we we can do it in 12 months we don't need 18 months but that's it's like okay well how how are we gonna do that you know it's, it's great to say we can and, and believe and have faith but there's you got to be a little practical too um so i think the rock bottom moment was when we pivoted from bridge debt that was kind of you know the friction point nice and it's, it's funny i'm discussing this with you right now since you kind of are part of the story <laughs> Well, I mean, I could see that you guys are going down the right path. Just a little bit of help along the way. Yeah. It keeps moving the boat. And then you guys took the recommendation and got into, you know, some relationship that's going to help you explode the business and take it to the next level. Has there been any financial reward or any other reward for what you guys have done so far? Just the knowledge, just the on the job knowledge we've gained along the way. Um, we've actually changed marketing tactics this week. And we've started using the Facebook marketplace and creating crazy amount of ads in there. And our lead generation has skyrocketed. And we're like, why haven't we been doing this marketplace all the time? You do marketplace? Yeah, you're talking about to lease the units, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, just, just little things like that that you learn along the way that this is, the marketplace might not be big in California, but in the Midwest, that's how people search for apartments. I've never searched for an apartment like that. I always just use Zillow, I guess, when I'm looking for places. But um, yeah, it's, it's really big in the Midwest. and just, and obviously the marketplace is just a small thing you take away from it, but there's so many other bigger items that you'll carry over to future projects. Has there been anything that's tried to pull you back and to just make it so busy that you don't have the time or ability to actually work on the dream that you guys are manifesting? Yeah. Um, yeah, time management is huge. And I'm, I'm sure you can relate to that, especially, you know, since, since you've grown so quickly. I remember like when I was just a, yeah, I think it was 2011. I was, I was out of the Navy and I was just going to grad school and I felt so busy. I always felt like I didn't have time. It's because I didn't make time for anything. All, I mean, I only went to class like three days a week and I had some dumb hobbies like playing video games. And so when I said I didn't have time, it's because it meant I wanted to watch Netflix and play video games. But realistically, um, you know, and we work six days a week in our job, but we're still able to get this st stuff done. And for me, I don't know how the other guys do it, but just having a calendar and committing to your schedule, like, I don't know, just kind of when you go to bed, like, okay, what would my ideal morning look like before work? What do I need to get done? And how, how am I going to do it? And just scheduling everything. And you realize, you know, I feel like I have more time now than I did when I was in that 2011, I don't have time mentality. You know, when I'm only going to school three days a week, not even working. <laughs> um, so I think just, just realizing what's important to you and prioritizing where you want to allocate your time and then, and then just kind of executing on it and following through and, you know, being as close to hitting it as possible, even if you don't 
you know, you don't hit everything 100% for the day. You know, you, you, know you committed and, and at least you had an aim, right? Yeah, that's big. Is that the biggest difference in your approach to life so far since you made time a- management? I, I, um, as far as time management? Is just time management or committing to the schedule or are you making other big shifts to make sure that you stay on path? Um, so time management is the, the biggest thing is just uh, as far as increasing my effectiveness, effectiveness and then just kind of eliminating a lot of BS is just you realize isn't important. You know, I don't, I don't really watch much TV anymore. Um, I like reading a lot of self-help books and stuff like that. I heard you read a Pitch Anything recently. I heard you say that on one of your podcasts. I just finished that one. That's a great book. Um, and th- those books can kind of motivate you too, right? Even though it's kind of just downtime, little hobby, ho- hobby stuff, you leave it with more knowledge and um, just, you're just, you're just motivated and you can, and can act on that. Got it. So in this new space, what are you most grateful for, Michael? In this new space, man, it's, I mean, first of all, I say I'm grateful for my health. Like we wouldn't be able to do anything we were doing right now if we weren't healthy, especially with this COVID-19 stuff going on, I think that can kind of make you self-realize. Um, and we also wouldn't have this opportunity if we didn't live in a Western country, Western civilization, you know, to, to be able to be an entrepreneur and a businessman. Um, a lot of people take that for granted. And then, you know, just having the partners that I have and, you know, the people around you to help you grow, because I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for that partnership. So, you know, that's huge. And just mentors and you know, even just the connections you make on podcasts, you know, meeting someone like Jerome Myers um, and all the other awesome guests we've had, you know, there's, there's so much you can take away and it's not all, you know, just a self-serving action having a podcast, right? You, you learn so much. So, and, and then you kind of have a contact you, you meet these people, you exchange information and you can reach out if you need something. Um, yeah, I don't know if I fully answered your question. No, that's great. <laughs> Perfect. And I'm sure your partners are going to be glad to hear you mentioned them in the group of things or people you're most grateful for. What dream are you most focused on catching next? You know, I, I want to, I want to be where you're at, man, financially free. We're, we're still working. Um, work has slowed down. We're working less just because it's COVID thing, but once it ramps back up, we'll be back in there six days a week, but we're just trying to replace our W2 income with passive income. And then from there, we just, we just want to grow and then pursue outside endeavors, you know, that, that are good. Just, you know, it allows you to aim, aim for the, highest possible good you can achieve in your life and, and, and actually achieve it. When you're working all the time, it's, it's hard to do those things. I think everyone has, you know, maybe an altruistic calling, something that they feel like their heart, their heart is attracted to. And once you have more free time and more, more money, you can pursue those things and you can improve those areas that you feel like you're called to. Um, so that's kind of my vision and my goal. And I know my partners have the same vision with being financially free as well. That's, and we'd love to be there in two years, but we'll see. Yeah, don't rush it. Don't be too aggressive. <laughs> Buy it right so that right. you know it doesn't do any good to get there and then have to go back, right? So yeah. you want to be one and done. And so just take your time and, and work through the process is, is my two cents for whatever that's worth. Is it worth a lot, man? For yourself giving the world right now? Say that again? Is there a gift that you consider yourself giving the world right now? I mean, currently, and it's not even self-serving, just like, and, and, and you do this as well, and, and most people do it in our space, it's just financial knowledge. Um, I think if other people realize, if they invest you know, in things outside of 
just the, the stock market and Wall Street, they can create passive income and they can pursue their own personal endeavors as well. And, and if, if more people are doing that, you know, there's going to be a greater good, at least in our country, you know. Um, so I think just giving people that financial knowledge um, that they don't have to work till they're 70 years old and, and that they can have passive income and, and, you know, kind of pursue other endeavors. I, I feel like that's huge. And that's, that's kind of the greater good that we're providing right now. And obviously in the future, there's more that I want to do personally than just that. But, um, you know, we, we have our meetups and our podcast. And I think that's where most, it's kind of like our main platform where we're founding on, on these items. Awesome. So if the listeners want to catch up with you, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Um, so let's see. Our Instagram is, I mean, really Instagram. Oh, it's the multifamily takeoff, the multifamily takeoff. Um, my email is mike at the multifamily takeoff.com. And then we have a website with the same name, the multifamily takeoff.com. It's just kind of branded on our aviation background with pilots and air traffic controllers. It's clever, man. I really enjoy it. <laughs> do a great job with the podcast, guys. It's one of the highest quality sound, from a sound perspective that I heard. And they're also great interviewers. So check them out for sure. Last question. What's the one thing you want people to take away from this conversation? One thing I want people to take away from this conversation. Um, I would say, first of all, like, just slow down and become self-aware and look for areas where you can personally improve. I think that that's where it starts because without introspect, you're always kind of looking at others. But I think if you realize where you can improve and then you can start setting finite goals and, and I would say, don't let them be muddy, like set a hard number. And I know that's scary um, because then you're afraid, well, what if I fail? It's not, I mean, you fail if you don't set the goal, but set a goal and set, don't leave your goals muddy. Um, Set a hard number and, at least you have an aim, right? There's no failing. And that's how I view it any time I set a goal. I mean, and then just the time management, um, I'm not gonna dig much deeper into what I said, but I think people have a lot more time than they realize. It's just where they're allocating their time and, and what's important to them. Um, you're never too biz- busy if you just manage your time well and set up a daily schedule and kind of envision what your perfect day looks like so when you wake up, you can truly rise and shine. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Michael, I really appreciate you being on the show, being so generous with your time and sharing those nuggets of wisdom with the listeners. I look forward to following up on your journey as you guys catch more of these dreams. And to the listeners, do us a favor, share this with somebody, give us a rating, review, likes, all those things matter. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.